how to be led by God. Uh, we call this one being led by the Holy Spirit or being led by the Holy Ghost. And this is by far the one we all know something about. But I think after this morning, we'll realize we didn't know as much as we thought. And I was telling Miss Kylie, because she helps us edit all of this, that what I've endeavored to do with this as like a scientist, I've, I've endeavored to further systematically categorize and organize the leadings of God. We said over and over again that all the leadings could we say we're, we're just led by God. But now if we wanted to be persnickety, which theology begs, science defines, if we're going to be persnickety, then we can see that there are seven individual unique leadings of God. The Holy Spirit is one of them. And so today we cover what Jesus said about how the Holy Spirit would lead us, not how Brother Pentecost taught us, but what Jesus said, because that's going to reveal a lot to us. I guarantee you this morning I'm going to stretch your thinking, challenge you on some things, and then, and then you'll come back and say, well, that just makes perfect sense. And the end game, I, I'm teaching this so that we can be accurate in our leadings by God, and we're not spooky, we're not goofy, but we're balanced, established, mature believers. Uh, the other thing I've always wondered is how could the Baptists and the Presbyterians and some of these great mainline denominations who don't believe in the Holy Spirit's leading like we do, how can they be so successful? Well, it's because they mastered the first three leadings, the Word of God, the wisdom of God, and the peace of God. And I was just talking to a denominational brother this week. We were talking about some stuff, and he quickly, he knows where we stand. He said, I know how you guys believe about tongues. And he said, and I'm not against tongues. My denomination doesn't believe in it. I've been on plenty of mission trips, and I've been around a lot of tongue talkers. And, and he said, uh, I just want all God has for me. Let me tell you a story. You're going to think it's crazy. No, you won't. You're Pentecostal. I love it when they still, you're going to think this is, you won't believe, wait. You're a tongue talker. You'll believe this story. They always save those stories for their tongue talking buddies. All right, let's get into this. We have arrived at number four on our list of the seven leadings of God. This one is the most famous of all, especially among us tongue talkers, the leading of the Holy Spirit. In order to demonstrate the importance and frequency of divine leadings, it may help to view them as a pyramid with seven levels. We just developed this Friday and Saturday. So this is my invention. I copyright it. I didn't borrow this from anybody. But as soon as I was editing it, I thought, if I'm not careful, I could fall into some old school heresy called uh, subjectionism. And I'm not trying to be a subjectionist, though I do believe in economic subjectionism. And we'll cover that when we talk about the Trinity. So I created this graph. And then I realized if I don't word this right, somebody could come along and nail me for heresy. So I'm going to have to walk this out carefully. I just wanted us to be able to visually see what we've been teaching. The foundation is the Bible, the Word of God, because... He has exalted the, his, his word above even his own name. The word is preeminent. If we ever leave the word, we're sunk. And not, not a single doctrine that is established is up for debate. There are the peripheral doctrines that we could debate, three verses here versus five verses there. But the word of God is forever settled under heaven. The next level, smaller in size but higher up on the pyramid, is wisdom. I don't mean to exalt wisdom above the word of God, but by higher up, we also mean, in a sense, less frequent. Though wisdom should abound everywhere, the Word of God is the easiest way to get direction. Wisdom is built upon the Word. Followed next by peace, an even smaller but higher level. And this is where I could get into the heresy of subjectionism, which is to say that wisdom or peace is higher than the Word. And that's not what I'm saying at all, and I think we understand that. So as soon as I wrote the sentence, I thought, I don't know if there, there's got to be a better way to phrase this, but higher up on our pyramid, which means a smaller or less frequent. 
in comparison to the word of God, but we should habitually live in the peace of God. Word is the foundation. The word produces wisdom. Wisdom we saw last week produces peace, so forth. The fourth leading relates to the Holy Spirit himself. It is perhaps only fitting that he is the middle of our pyramid analogy. The smaller size represents a leading less frequent than the leadings we previously covered, which were peace, wisdom, and scripture. Realistically, the typical well-fed Christian will hear from their pastor more frequently than they will hear from the Holy Spirit. Now, that's by simple volume of words spoken. Now, realistically, you hear from me three and four and five services a week, way more than you'll ever hear from the Holy Spirit. But we put the Holy Spirit first simply because the minister is not always available to you, but the Holy Spirit will never leave you nor forsake you. So that's why we exalt the Holy Spirit above the minister's leading, and we'll cover the minister's leading with our next lesson. Though not every Christian actually has a pastor, isn't that a problem today? Every genuinely born-again believer does have the Holy Spirit and is therefore subject to his leadings. And so the pyramid's completed with the last three layers, which is the leading of the ministers, the leading of the word of the Lord, and the leading of the supreme voice of God the Father. And so you see that there. You see our little pyramid. And as it goes higher up the pyramid, it becomes less and less frequent in your life. One of the things we'll see with our last lesson is that you could very easily live three or four lifetimes and never hear the voice of the Father from heaven. And that's perfectly okay. Hebrews says, The Father who at diverse times and diverse manners spake unto us by the prophets of old hath in these times spoken unto us by his Son, the Lord Jesus. So if you hear the Lord Jesus speak to you through the Word of God, that's the Father from heaven. This is the mystery that is the Trinity, which is the next set of lessons I'm working on, which I realize the modern church has about a thimble full of real doctrine. And it really is quite shameful. I'm reading stuff that was worked out hundreds of years ago. And it's so basic, and yet we don't even understand any of it. So that's why we keep teaching. So, all right, that's our foundation. We have a lot to cover. The still small voice. Now, I want us to back up, forget about all of our Pentecostal expressions like prophecy, or I, I heard an angel say, or the Lord appeared to me. Those, we could all blanket and say, that was the Holy Spirit leading you. But let's see what the pure, simple leading of the Holy Spirit looks like. Okay, that's, where I'm, that's the angle I'm coming at this from. The still small voice. And he, that is the, the Lord, by the word of the Lord, said to Elijah, Go forth, stand, up, stand upon the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. Now this is Elijah backslidden on Mount Horeb, which is in Arabia outside of Egypt. This is about 40 days journey south of Jezreel, where he's been running from. The Lord passed by, and look what happened after the Lord passed by. A great strong wind, and it rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Look at that. The Lord passes by, and a great strong wind starts breaking rocks. Have you ever been somewhere and a rock all of a sudden just exploded because the wind was so tremendous? That's, that's crazy. A great strong wind rent the mountains. It means broke the mountain. The mountain began to fragment and fracture and tear the mountain, and rocks began to explode. I've only seen that in the zinc mine when we, after we would blast a, a stope, a working heading is called a stope, we'd blast the stope out, and as you remove the muck, the blasted rock is called muck, as you muck it out, you have all what are called rock pressures relieving, and the rock face would sit there and literally spit rock at you. Because it was relieving tension. And that's a good time when rockfall can happen. So if you walked into a working stope, they had it clawed it or bolted it yet, you could look at this face and it would go and just spit 
a rock the size of your hand at you as the rock pressures were relieving the tension from the explosion. It's the only time I've ever seen anything like this. This was done by a wind. But the Lord was not in that wind. So that wind wasn't God. Pretty freaky. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And when it was so, when Elijah heard it, the still, small voice, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, we got to stop and take all that in because I'm about to break it down. And it's going to really challenge our word of faith Pentecostal experiences. The voice of the Holy Spirit will more often be a still small voice, an inward knowing. You put words to it trying to communicate it, but it's an inward knowing, a still small voice. Elijah heard it. He knew what to do. Discouraged and afraid, Elijah had returned to Mount Sinai in hopes of having a spectacular encounter with God like Moses did before him. He was trying to go back to a dead revival. Alas, it did not go as planned. The Lord passed by Elijah on the mountain and the following preceded him. So God Almighty, the Lord, passes by Elijah. And after the Lord passes by, signs and wonders follow behind the Lord, but they're not God. First, there was a great and strong wind, but God was not in the wind, though God's presence had produced a wind in the days of Moses on the same mountain. Secondly, the Lord passes by. There was a great earthquake, but God was not in that earthquake, though the presence of God produced an earthquake in the days of Moses on the same mountain. Thirdly, there was a fire, but God was not in the fire, though the presence of God produced a fire like a furnace in the days of Moses on the same mountain. And then finally, there was this still small voice that asked Elijah a question. The same question, the more powerful word of the Lord had asked him four verses prior. So he has this more prominent word of the Lord, which we'll cover in two lessons. The word of the Lord is a lot more authoritative than the leading of the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord came unto him and said, what are you doing here? And Elijah didn't answer. And the Lord passes by, wind, earthquake, fire, and then a still small voice asks the exact same thing. What are you doing here? God was not in the loud and spectacularly supernatural events, though he had been at one point. On this day, he was the still small voice. Now that's critical. These three supernatural events on Mount Sinai were clearly not God, but they had been at one time in the past. But they did manifest, these three supernatural things they manifested as the Lord passed by. It's like the wake the Lord passes by, and these are supernatural events behind the Lord, but the Lord's not in those or doing those. But they do mimic the revival from a thousand years prior. I call them the ghosts of revival past, lying signs and wonders. Dr. Barclay points out, don't you believe, don't you know the demons know we're Pentecostals? Don't you know the demons know our own doctrine? Don't you know the demons know we want to hear voices? They don't talk to Baptists the way they talk to us. 
They know how to disguise themselves and pass themselves off as angels of light, as encouraging voices, supernaturally strong voices, visitations in our bedroom, commanding us to do this, giving us dreams and visions. And that is why we exalt the word first, then wisdom, which comes through counsel and knowledge of the word, then peace, and fourth on our list is actually deity. Fourth on the list we get into the supernatural deity, God, the Holy Spirit. I believe these three events, not the the band Earth, Wind, and Fire, but Wind, Earthquake, and Fire, were the work of familiar spirits. The move of God was no longer at that mountain because God had moved his people into their promised land, Israel. Elijah was chasing an old move of God and ended up encountering supernatural lying signs and wonders. This is why we don't live for the spectacular, and we must be careful chasing the supernatural. God led Elijah by his still small voice asking, what are you doing here, or why are you here? And then commanding him to return to Israel and finish his work. It was a still small voice. We have to be mindful of that. I don't want us to get into a place where we try to live day to day like a preacher looks like he can live when he's in the altar service. We understand when the preacher's in the altar service, the gifts of the Spirit or his ministry office is manifested, so he's going to be hearing from God like crazy. But when he goes home, we don't live that way. We live just like you do. But if, if this is all you think there is, or if this is how you think it should be, you'll go home, eat a peanut butter or jelly sandwich, and try to have three gifts of the Spirit and a miracle and cast a demon out of the jiffy peanut butter because it's not Peter Pan. But that's not reality. Uh, Dr. Sumrall once said he hadn't heard from God in 27 years. But then again, when you're mature, you don't have to be told 16 times to pick up your room. When you're mature, nobody tells you to pick up your room. You just pick it up because it needs to be picked up. I want us as Pentecostals to be careful not to chase the spectacular because there are lying signs and wonders. And charismatics are really good at chasing false revival and throwing millions of dollars at pedophiles, homosexuals, and, and uh, adulterers. And unfortunately, though they can hear a voice really good, they don't know the Bible at all. Because the Bible does command us to try every spirit and to see what, what it's of. The leading of the Holy Spirit is a smaller, quieter, less spectacular event than it has perhaps been made out to be in years past. But what exactly does this look like? That's what we're going to cover. A promise for more truth. Jesus indicated to his disciples that he had much more to say to them and to us, but they were not mature enough in that season to receive it. That verse still applies to us today. The Lord has many more things to say to us, but we can't hear all of it today. So we hear what we're able to hear today, and then we advance. Every parent gets this with their children. You slowly, progressively reveal what you know to your kids as they have comprehension and understanding. You teach them right from wrong. You teach them things of maturity. You start to prepare them for puberty. Then you start to prepare them for what lovemaking does and babies. And these are things you don't even think about when they're three and four and five, but when they're nine and 10, you got to start having these conversations. We're the same way. There's things God wants to reveal to us, but we can't handle them all today. But as we grow and hopefully we are growing, he can reveal them to us later. Hopefully we don't go to heaven, the Lord hoping to talk to us about the birds and the bees. Been wanting to have that talk with us for 50 years, but we still aren't mature enough to be able to handle spiritual birds and bees because we've stayed babies in our understanding. 
This meant that in the Lord's absence, someone else would have to continue to reveal, share, and guide them, the disciples, as they grew and matured individually. The Holy Spirit is that someone. Praise God. John 16, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Notice bear. This means the things he has to say have a burden of responsibility. It's, it's, it's heavy. You have to bear them. He didn't say you can't hear them. He said you can't bear them yet. When God speaks to us, it produces a burden of responsibility. And that's why we'll always be judged by how much we've been given, not by what we didn't know. Don't worry about what you don't know. Fear for what you do know and do nothing with. Fear for the standard you exalt with your mouth, but don't live in your life. He said, basically, everything I want to reveal to you has a burden of responsibility. And I love you so much, I won't put that burden on you yet because it wouldn't be just. I'll wait till your legs get a little bit stronger. Then I'll put the responsibility on you. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, and he goes on to say some things that we'll cover. Jesus promised to continue to be with his disciples through another comforter. The Greek says in, of another, another of the exact same kind, because it is the Trinity we're speaking of. We must understand how the Lord Jesus continues his earthly ministry toward us through the Holy Spirit. This is why every born-again believer can expect to hear from the Holy Spirit. Jesus still has more he wants to say to us, and he will say that to us through the Word, through wisdom, through peace, and the Holy Spirit. So here's the first thing I'm going to throw you. Well, I guess the first thing was the, the leading of the Holy Spirit is a still small voice. And now again, we're excluding all the gifts of the Spirit that could be prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, tongues, interpretation of tongues, discerning of spirits. Those are gifts of the Spirit. We're not going to lump those together with the basic leading of the Holy Spirit. The first thing we need to understand about being led by the Holy Spirit is that it's a still small voice. Brother Hagen called it the inward knowing. You just know. And then when you go to put words to it, you're actually verbalizing what he spoke to you. I like what one man of God said. I don't remember who. I'd give him credit. He said, God doesn't speak English. He doesn't speak Japanese. He doesn't speak Spanish. He speaks truth. And you hear it in your native tongue. So then you speak it according to your understanding and give voice to it. So the, the first real way we see the Holy Spirit lead us is this little thing we poo-poo upon called a divine remembrance, a remembrancer. One of the ways the Holy Spirit leads us is by reminding us of everything Jesus has ever spoken to us. That's what Jesus Christ taught first and foremost about how the Holy Spirit would lead us. Now, this is where I'm going to stretch your mind and, and really, as this, the, the kiss principle, keep it simple, silly. This reiterates the fact that the leadings of God are rooted in the Word. The Holy Spirit is a divine remembrancer. He reminds us of things. John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. He'll teach you. So part of his leading is as a teacher, but that's more of an illumination, which is covered later. But the first thing we really see him do in John 14, and understand John 14, 15, and 16 is the Lord talking to his disciples about what's going to happen when he's gone. And he, he begins to introduce the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which they didn't understand. The first thing he says, he'll remind you of the things I've told you. Think about that. Sometimes being led by the Holy Spirit is simple as having a memory you didn't remember to remember. And then all of a sudden you remember. We don't like to think about that because it doesn't make us look like a mystic or a guru. 
And that's what America is all about is entertainment, biggest showman, big top hat, American Idol, America's Got Talent. Look at me, look at me, look at me. But he said, the Holy Spirit will remind you of what I've told you. Whatsoever I said unto you, that's what he'll remind you of. The Holy Spirit reminds us of what the Bible says. Not very spectacular, not worthy of building a ministry on, not you're not going to have, you know, the apostle prophet Christopher McMichael healing and miracle seminar over this. And yet every one of us has experienced this. You know where a verse is that you got to go look up. And where is it? It's on the top right hand of my page. I got to go find that. I know what's that verse. What's that verse? It's the Holy Ghost trying to remind you of something you halfway studied. You got to give him something to work with. <laughs> that means that his leading, that this leading of God might often be dismissed as a mere convenient memory. We don't often see that. If you've ever, well, I shouldn't say debate. When I first got spirit-filled, Calvinism was burning through campus very rapidly. And I had devoured the New Testament in less than a semester, which is pretty good when you're going through college and had never been taught to study the Bible. And before uh, the year was out, I was debating Calvinists in the quad there, running circles around them, just scriptures coming to my memory left and right, left. I only read the New Testament once. How in the world is all this coming to my remembrance to debate these Calvinists and to shame them? And all of a sudden, it's random scriptures out of the book of Acts. Acts has got 28 chapters. How do you remember anything out of the book of Acts except for tongues? Acts 2. Everybody knows Acts 2. That's it. That's the most important part of Acts is 2. This was the Holy Spirit leading. When you go to witness to somebody, or you go to evangelize somebody, and all of a sudden, scriptures start coming out of you. That's the Holy Spirit doing the first thing Jesus said he would do for us. Amen. If you've ever read the book Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe, written 16th, 17th century. Don't get the audiobook. Some One of our friends got the audiobook. It totally omits all the Christianity in the book. But Daniel Defoe, uh, Robinson Crusoe, he saves a man from cannibalism who he names Friday because he rescues him on Friday, his good man Friday. They're marooned on an island. And Friday converts to Christianity. And Friday begins to become more hungry for God than Crusoe does and begins to ask all these questions. And so the whole book of Robinson Crusoe is written like a journal. And in his journaling, Robinson Crusoe was a fictional character, but the author's Daniel Defoe. He says, the more questions Friday asked me, the more I could answer with knowledge I did not know I had. He said he would ask questions and stories I had learned years ago, sermons I had learned years ago would begin to come forth out of my mouth. That's Daniel Defoe recognizing this in a book written 500 years ago, which is a powerful book. Read it. Don't listen to the audio of it. I guess apparently we're editing books like the Nazis did with audio versions now sold on Amazon. If you want a good book to read, read that one. It's a little slow in the beginning, but by the end you'll be crying. Don't diminish such a leading. It may not be as spectacular as a vision or divine appearance, but remembering the exact scripture the Lord wants you to know at the right moment is just as divine as operating in the gifts of the Spirit. Don't diminish this because it's, it may save your life or somebody else's life. However, it must be pointed out that this leading is dependent on you actually knowing the Scriptures. If all you ever heard is John 3, 16, the Holy Spirit doesn't have much to work with. There are those rare occasions where the Holy Spirit has spoken to somebody and said, read 1 Timothy 4, 1, or read Isaiah 55, and they would turn there, but the Spirit didn't speak it to them. They had to go read it themselves. What happens if you don't know the Bible or have never studied it? 
what will the Holy Spirit be able to bring to your remembrance? So this brings us back to our foundation of the pyramid, which is the B-I-B-L-E, the only book for me. He's a guide in all truth. Here's the second thing the Lord Jesus said about being led by the Holy Spirit. Before the Holy Spirit was ever poured out at Pentecost, Jesus prophesied that the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. John 16, 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide. Now the word guide means one who knows the ways, one who is authorized to lead. There's a lot of guides out there, but they're not authorized to lead you. Social media is an unauthorized guide. Don't, don't listen to social media. He'll guide you into all truth. He's the spirit of truth, so the only way he can guide you is into truth. He will never mislead you. First John comes along and says, uh, the anointing that you have is of a truth and is no lie. Amen. For he shall not speak of himself. The Holy Spirit only speaks truth, and he guides us into truth. So Jesus said in another place in John, thy word is truth. Well, this brings us leading back to the word again. So part of the Holy Spirit's leadings in our own pers- is in our own personal Bible study. I used to pray that a lot when I would study. I would be working out, out doctrine and trying to decipher some stuff, and I'd say, Lord, your word says your word is truth, and Holy Spirit, you said you'd guide me into all truth, and I'm trying to work on this doctrine. You've got to guide me through this book of truth so I can unlock what I need. And I found even still, even when I'm not working out doctrine, the Holy Spirit gets me to the scriptures I need for the problem I'm facing. Even as long as I've studied the Bible now, which is over 20 years of constant Bible study, I'm still discovering scriptures I've read over a thousand times that never stood out to me that fit what I'm currently facing. In fact, there's one scripture my wife and I stand on. I was listening to Brother Hagin's healing scriptures this week on on my iPhone, not on tape. I used to have it on tape and turn over and listen to it again until you wore the tape out. And he quotes a scripture the Lord had to speak to me in prayer couple years ago. And I thought, how is it I listened to Brother Hagin read that scripture a thousand times? It never stuck out to me. And now when I need that exact promise, it comes to my remembrance or he guides me to it. So these are not spectacular, but these will change your life. Let me back up and say this. Pentecost hit America at the same time as vaudeville. Pentecost hit America at the same time as the movie pictures did and as the traveling circuses did and our culture from its inception has been entertainment driven so beginning in the 20s and the 30s we had some Pentecostal leaders who were very showy theatrical that is part of this nation's church DNA even TBN for the last 30 years has been very theatrical in how it demonstrates God, which really diminishes God's glory because it focuses on you and my handkerchief or my tie or my jacket, or, and it's all about name recognition. Whereas I like how Jude, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, begins his epistle. He says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, not the apostle, not the half-brother of Jesus Christ, the slave. Jude, the slave, the man-slave, the bonded servant of Jesus Christ. We have to be careful. Even in our still circles, we get a little theatrical. And so we kind of diminish the the supernatural in place for the spectacular because the spectacular makes us look really cool and it elevates us to mystics and gurus. All right, let's keep going. This portion of the Holy Spirit's leadings once again 
deals with the Bible. So as you're studying the Bible, you can trust the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth. Again, you've got to open the book and study it for him to get you places. How many of you have ever been studying the Bible and say, how in the world did I get here? And you're like, yeah, in your Bible study, you're like, what? what? And then get something out of it. Wow. The rest of you, I guess, don't study the Bible. <laughs> hey, you're like, how in the world am I studying Ezra? How in the world did I end up in the middle of Job for three weeks? Because the Holy Spirit was leading. And then all of a sudden, you turn back to where you were yesterday in Job, and you're like, I got nothing. Might as well be Russian. The grace moved on, and now he'll guide you into another portion that you need for this daily bread. That was yesterday's bread. He gives you daily this daily bread, and it isn't in Job today. Today, it's in Habakkuk. Can anything good come of Habakkuk? Other than write the vision? There's other stuff there. All right. However, there's another portion of this being guided where uh, there will be times when the forces of deception seek to mislead you. And as the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit will alert or warn us when someone or something is trying to deceive us, he will steer us away from deception. So I pray this a lot, especially when I'm, not, I'm in a season I don't know what to do or I've got a lot of decisions to make. I'll say, Lord, you're the spirit of truth and there's a lot of deception going on. I thank you that I cannot be deceived because you are the spirit of truth and you live within me. I cannot be deceived. And that's not spectacular either. It's just somebody walks up to you, starts talking on the inside. You go, mm-mm, that's a bunch of baloney. And maybe they're trying to snow blow you, or maybe they don't know. But you just have this knowing it's not truth. That's not truth. I remember one time years ago, I was returning some things to um, a JCPenney or a Sears or one of those stores. And uh, they were gifts that were given. And they were ringing it up. And we were, I was getting so much money back for it. And I just, I knew on the inside that wasn't what was paid for it. They're, they're not giving you the full amount. I just knew that. So I said, would you mind looking that back up? Because I don't think that's what was paid for it. And sure enough, they, they looked it back up and they owed me an extra 150 bucks or something. Just, that's pretty good. I wasn't looking for it. It wasn't spectacular. It was just, something is not right here. Let me inquire a little deeper. That's being a guide into all truth. And that's worth praying when you're parenting. That's worth praying when you've got to make business decisions. That's worth parenting, uh, uh, praying when, when you've got to lead a church. That's worth parent, uh, praying, not just parenting, that keeps coming out. That's worth praying when you don't know what to do. Lord, you're the spirit of the truth. Holy Ghost, you live on the inside of me. You're of a truth and you are no lie. I cannot be deceived. I cannot even deceive myself. Speak to me, Holy Spirit, about what is truth and what is not. And he will. So we got a divine remembrancer, not so spectacular, but wonderful. A guide into all truth. That includes, that means really Bible study and, and a fraud alert, if you will. And now we have a foreteller. Here this divine leading leaves the word of God, that is the concrete word of God, and operates in the realm of prophecy and the word of wisdom. Here we begin to get into something a little bit more spectacular. Uh, John 16, 13b Whatsoever the Holy Ghost shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Well, if that's written to us today, and it is, what is to come is not in the Bible necessarily, unless we're talking about eschatology. So he's going to speak to you about things to come. This becomes a little bit more spectacular, a little bit bigger. Not that it's necessarily showier, but we do finally leave the word of God or the concreteness of the word of God. Things to come does not refer to the Bible, to, to Bible study or doctrine. It is understood that these things, excuse me, these kinds of leadings, revelations, warnings are individualistic and only come as he wills. 
I would classify this supernatural foresight as the gift of the Spirit, or as a gift of the Spirit, specifically the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom deals with the wisdom of God for future tense. It might include warnings. And honestly, all of these New Testament prophecy or New Testament foretelling is all subject to change. It is not guaranteed to come to pass. Sometimes it's revealed so we can intercede and stop it. Sometimes it's revealed so we can make sure we're on the right train and we don't miss the train. We're at the right station at the right time. So these warnings, and these are examples from my life. Don't get on that plane. Resign in September, and it will begin in Africa. Pray for them, or she'll end up pregnant. Or the, very specific, when the Lord spoke to me, the Scudders will move to Uganda and serve the Catanellas. The Lord spoke that to me on a Saturday morning prayer when I was praying for my house that we didn't have yet when we were still in the apartment off of Stephen Street, I'm praying on a Saturday morning for our house, believing God, talking to God about our house. And he speaks to me very clearly and says, the Scudders will move to Uganda and they will serve the Catanellas. That didn't happen for two years. Pretty accurate guide of things to come. And that would classify as a word of wisdom. But now that was totally dependent upon them doing everything they needed to do. Because that wasn't going to become the pass if they did nothing. Notice that these personal examples would not be found in the Bible, but they still reveal the Word of God or the will of God. They still reveal the will of God. I want you to understand this about the guidings and the leadings of God. They don't guarantee anything will or will not come to pass. It's totally dependent upon us. New Testament prophecy and declarations don't have the weight that Old Testament did or that even the foundational apostles and prophets had. It just doesn't work that way. If God prophesies something to you, if a minister prophesies something to you, that thing can expire if you get into sin. That thing can expire if you divorce your husband. That thing can expire if you slander your pastor. All these things are conditional. All the promises are conditional, with the exception of maybe Christ being born in the fullness of time and the rapture. Apart from that, everything is conditional, and we have to make sure we walk with God. All right. Again, this teaching, we could spend a whole podcast or pod school on just the Holy Spirit, but I'm trying to burn through quickly what Jesus had to say about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in his leadings with us. So he's also, next section, a proclaimer and a revealer. And these two go hand in hand. It's the same word in the Greek, but they kind of have different emphasis. It may be foreign for us to consider a proclamation to be a leading of the Holy Spirit, but in keeping with the vein and context of John 16, which is what we've looked at so far, this is exactly the case. John 16, 14, Jesus said, He, the Holy Spirit, shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. The word show is to proclaim, to declare, a proclamation, an announcement. The root word there is angel or angelos, one who brings tidings and declarations. I think it's Anna Angelos is the Greek, to declare now or a message now, a proclamation. So when the Holy Spirit brings something to you that he received from the Lord, he proclaims it to you. That's a leading of God. It's also a revelation. He had it from the Lord. He gave it to you. Probably have written this, but let's say, for example, you're reading 1 Timothy 4.1, which says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the last time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Let's say you've read that a hundred times and it never meant anything to you. And then all of a sudden, one day you're actually reading your Bible again and you read it and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, That includes you right now. You hadn't seen that before. But the Holy Spirit received it from the Lord Jesus and declared it to you, proclaimed it. But it hadn't been revealed yet. 
So at the same moment, the proclamation instantly becomes a revealing or a revelation. The Greek word for revelation is apocalypto. It means to take the lid off a pot. So you were tracking in the direction of departing from the faith the whole time, and the Holy Spirit heard from the Lord and said, tell him that includes him today. So you're being led by God. Thank God you're in the Bible, but he's saying that applies to you. Or like my story, reading in Proverbs, and uh, it says that bread is, uh, the bread of deception is sweet, but in the end their mouth will be filled with gravel. I'd read that many times, but on that day, the Lord proclaimed it through the Holy Spirit and said, that's you. You exaggerate. That's deception. Do you want your mouth full of gravel? No. That sounds horrible. Stop exaggerating. I wasn't so much a liar, just an exaggerator, which is lying. Amen. Okay. The leading, this leading may more accurately be classified as a revelation. If Jesus gave it to the Holy Spirit to give to us, we neither had nor knew it before it was given. Therefore, it was hidden from us, right? That makes common sense. The proclamation or announcement of this truth from Jesus would be classified as a revelation. It glorifies Jesus when we receive what he has for us from the Holy Spirit. As you're led in and through the word, you can always, and I would say always, 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 expect the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to you from those scriptures. We haven't learned all there is to know from the word, and God hasn't even begun to scratch the surface of the truth that's in there for us. And we all have dark spots in our Bible studies. We read something, and you have to be honest, even in something as easy as maybe the book of Galatians, you read something and you think, I have no idea what that means. I don't even know how that, where that applies. Okay, I keep reading, and it's like blah, 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 blah. And then the next verse, you understand with a comprehension. And then the next three verses, blah, 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 blah. What is the next? What's another translation say? Blah, 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 blah. No, I still got nothing. (laughs) And the more you study the Bible, the more you fill in your gaps of understanding basic doctrine. Don't get discouraged. It's a big book written by an infinite God to a finite man. We're never going to cover all of it. The minor prophets, I might get like 2% out of most of them. I got nothing there. Oh, look, well, I underlined that one 15 years ago. So whatever was there, I haven't gotten anything out of that book in 15 years. Let me go back to something I can get a lot out of right now, Proverbs, Psalms, epistles. That's just how it is. Honestly, a lot of stuff in the Minor Prophets won't come to pass until the ages to come, or excuse me, to the millennial reign, until Daniel's, um, Jacob's trouble, Jacob's tribulation. That's why it's still hidden from us, even as the Old Testament believers try to look into what they were prophesying to see, see what manner of time the Spirit did signify. They, they were prophesying going, I don't even know what I'm saying. What does this even mean? Somebody write that down. Somebody will get it one day. That's it. That's why we don't get in pride over what little we do know, because it's not much. We keep pressing in. Amen. These revelations from the Holy Spirit would include anything that belongs to Jesus. So what does Jesus have? Understanding, knowledge, plans, purposes, anointings, doctrines, psalms, hymns, promotions, etc. Hopefully you see that even in the Holy Spirit leading us, a lot of it's going to be rooted in our own personal Bible study. Even if I'm preaching or any minister is preaching and you get convicted, that's a proclamation and a revelation. That's the Holy Spirit leading you. That's like the prophet Nathan saying, you are that man. (laughs) You are that woman. He's talking to you. (laughs) I am talking to him, talking to everybody. The Lord says, no, but he's really talking to you. (laughs) Oh, Lord, I don't want to be led. I don't want to be led. It's not so spectacular. Nobody stands up and says, I'm a guru. I'm under so much conviction right now. (laughs) 
I'm a mystic. Come ye, come all. I'll prophesy to you. No, you just say, God, have mercy on my soul. <laughs> That's all right. We're not trying to be the biggest showman. We're trying to be the greatest servant. All right, one more section. We got to go quick, quick, quick. The inward witness. What's the heart behind all this anyway? Now, let me, let me point out real quick what Jesus Christ taught us. He, he only said four things about the Holy Spirit. He said that he was a remembrancer, he was a guide, he was a foreteller, and a proclaimer. And that's it. That's what Jesus said about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16. So all the other leadings, if we're to systematically classify it like a scientist does the animal kingdom, we could classify it as other things. And one of, one of the things we'll do in the last lesson is look at all the other spectacular leadings and see where they fall in our pyramid, because they'll fall somewhere. Like one example where it says, and Paul was forbidden of the Holy Ghost to go into Bithynia. Forbidden. To me, that says no peace. Who stripped the peace from him? The Holy Ghost. I understand what those forbiddings feel like. And so we'll be able to classify it. But there's only four things Jesus said about the Holy Spirit's ministry in leading us. Okay. The inward witness. What's the heart behind all of this? Why does God want to lead us by his Holy Spirit? And this section I wrote as an encouragement. Romans 8, 14 through 17, for as many as are led to lead by accompanying, I like that, that means he goes with you. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness or testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And let me pause there. Because as I study all this and write it, I'm mindful. I grew up hearing about the inward witness, the inward witness, the inward witness. And that kind of became a phrase that described being led by the Holy Spirit. But really, it was a misunderstanding of what the old English word meant. The Spirit himself testifies on the inside of us. So if we, because that's what the word means, to testify, to, to bear witness, which means to testify. In a court of law, you have witnesses. And what do they do? They bear witness. So the word, it means to testify. So when we talk about the inward witness, we're talking about the inward testifier, which totally dissolves how we've used, oh, I had the inward witness because we, we kind of apply that ignorantly to being led by the Holy Spirit. It's not what the verse signifies. We're probably not going to be able to change it. It has so become entrenched in our vernacular among Pentecostalism. The, I, you know, I've got, that one, I've got an unction. Okay, the word unction just means anointing. It means to crush and smear. And so we've got all the unction. Ooh, I got an unction on that. It sounds like you got gastrointestinal reflux or something. Oof. I guess better out than in. But we, we never studied any of this for ourselves. We heard it, but we weren't like the noble Bereans that went to search it out for ourselves. So I don't mean to dismantle us, but we have to get more accurate. Otherwise, we're stuck in the past. The inward witness talks about the Holy Spirit testifying you're a child of God. I bear witness. I'm the spirit of adoption. He adopted you, and I'm here to confirm you're his kid. That's what that means, not how to be led. Anyway, okay, let's go on. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God, period. And if children and heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. All the language in this passage points toward, to our father-child relationship with God. Look at all the, ver the words, sons or children, adoption, Abba, father, children, heirs, etc. This is all family language. If we've truly been born again, then we are born again of the Spirit of God, 
which is also called the spirit of adoption. The reason we can expect God to lead us is because we are his precious children, children he so greatly desired that he was willing to purchase us by the blood of Jesus. As his own children, he will do his part to lead, guide, reveal, and foretell so that we are properly cared for. That should encourage you. Every one of you should expect God to lead you as we've been talking about in the last several weeks. You can all hear from God. It isn't just the preacher's job. It's not the guest minister's job. You're his kid. I talk to all of my kids. I talk to all of them differently, but I talk to all of them. I talk to them how they understand me and we relate on their levels. Same way with you. You may not hear from God like I do, but you're gonna hear from God and I want you to be encouraged in that. That should really bring you hope. Last section, other leadings. Having just covered the primary ways the Holy Spirit will lead us, uh, excuse me, uh, there are other ways, other more spectacular but rare ways we might encounter a few times in our lifetime. Now I say a few because number one is the word, number two is wisdom, number three is peace in the Holy Spirit. I don't want us to get goofy. Throw away any books you have on dream interpretation. That's goofy and probably has a hint of new age demonism to it. If you got one of those crazy-matic books on dream interpretation, flush it. I like Brother Hagin's doctrine. If the Holy Ghost can't give you the interpretation, he should have never given you the dream. You're not Nebuchadnezzar. You don't need a dream interpreter. You're not Belshazzar, are you? You don't need a dream interpreter. You're not Pharaoh, are you? A pagan king? You don't need a dream interpreter. You have the inward witness. He'll testify himself to you. So we have spectacular trances and visions. Peter's trance while in Joppa is also called a vision. He said, for in a trance, I saw a vision. So we can smear the two together, if you will, though I know they can be different. In this vision, the Lord revealed to Peter that the salvation of God was available to the Gentiles. So even though it's a trance, it's still a revealing like what Jesus said in John 16. Apparently, Peter had been struggling with this truth due to his own prejudices. He couldn't hear it while he was awake. He had to be knocked into a trance to see this carpet come down, this, this fabric with all manner of four-footed beasts. And the Lord had to say, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. And Peter knew he had his own interpretation. The salvation's come to the Gentiles. He could not get that on his own. He could not get that fellowshipping with Jesus for three and a half years. This is 10 years after Pentecost. He still hung up on Gentiles. He had a prejudice in him. So God has to give him a vision to kind of overemphasize the revelation of the Holy Spirit's leading. This vision was a, spectac a spectacular version of the Holy Spirit's ministry of proclaiming and revealing. And then dreams and night visions. Paul's Macedonian night vision, also known as a dream, was the Lord directing Paul and his company into Macedonia. The Holy Spirit had forbidden Paul from going into Asia and Bithynia, and divine direction finally came via the Macedonian vision. This is another example of the Holy Spirit proclaiming or revealing the will of Jesus. And for more dreams, see Job 33. Job 33 says, if he has to give you dreams, you're not listening while you're awake. So we don't brag about them. I'll, I'll take a dream anytime. I'm thankful if I'm that dense. Give me a dream. Give me a vision. Give me a trance. I really don't care. But most of the time, these things come because our heart is hardened and we don't listen while we're awake. So... I, don't brag about it. Be excited about it, but don't think you're that spectacular because as I study it, dinglings need dreams and visions. And I've had plenty of them, which means I'm a dingling sometimes. 
One of my first vision I ever had was because I was so prejudiced against FCA. I thought they were a bunch of religious folks who didn't want God anymore. And, and I'd been invited to the FCA Bible study and I wasn't going to go. I said, I'm not going to hang out with those folks. They don't want God. They don't want the Holy Ghost. They'll just mock me. So I was painting and I, I rolled the roller up and I rolled it down and I had this vision well, I saw myself at the FCA Bible study that night laying hands on eight people. They were all getting spirit-filled, falling out, speaking in tongues. And I rolled it back down, and the vision went away, and I said, but that's FCA. And then I said, nevertheless, Lord, if, I, if that's what you want, I'll go. He has to do that to me because I just can't talk to me. So I have to have a vision while I'm painting an apartment for my boss. Anyway, as a testimony to their rarity, only two visions one trance and one dream are recorded in the entire book of Acts. And each of these was critical to helping the apostles advance the gospel. I, I give you that as a weighted average so you understand. The apostles in 25 years of ministry covered in the book of Acts, about 25 years of time, you have a total of six. And all of them helped advance the gospel. That doesn't mean we won't fall outside of that, but I say that to say we exalt the word and throw away your dream interpretation books. A lot of money's been made off of dumb Christians with those. Wake up, ask for the interpretation. If not, flush it. Say, Lord, if you're trying to say something to me, I don't have it. Try again. You know how well I understand. I'm not trying to be rebellious. And I'm just trying to keep us from being nut jobs. All right? <laughs> I want us on the word. Father, we thank you for this pod school and this lesson. Help us to hear the balance of it. Some of this stretches us. Some of this is brand new to some of us. We want to be led by the Holy Spirit. Bless those that listen in the future. In Jesus' name, amen.